Hi, and welcome back to the European VC, your podcast for insights into the European VC industry. If you love our show, do drop us a review, share it with your friends, and join our Slack community at theeuropeanvc.com forward slash community. And don't forget, if you are about to raise a fund or an international round, do let us know, and we'll be happy to introduce you to relevant investors. Today, we're welcoming Johan Van Mill, co-founder and managing partner of Peak. As a lifelong entrepreneur, Johan has built, bought, and sold over 11 companies, from data marketplaces and social marketing software to email marketing platforms and more. Making the move from founder to investor, Johan founded Peak with five fellow entrepreneurs in 2008, which now invests in fast-growing marketplace, platforms, and SaaS companies. Before starting today's episode, we'd like to introduce you to Four Degrees. Four Degrees is the VC relationship intelligence CRM that helps you source and close deals in less time. Built by VCs who recognize the power of relationship networks, Four Degrees will transform your network into a living, breathing engine of opportunity by automating the deal-making process. To learn more about how Four Degrees can help you leverage your firm's relationships to move deals forward faster, visit fourdegrees.ai forward slash EUVC. Rohan, welcome to the show. It's great having you here. Thanks for having me. Before we start, I really want to take the time to just understand what led you into venture and what led you to starting Peak Capital. You've grown to become one of the really big brands in Europe, so I'm curious to hear more. Yeah, yeah I started Peak uh, already uh, 14, 15 years ago. Those days, I uh, was running my own company. I wrote a book about entrepreneurship and I was teaching on universities because those days... You really had to make students enthusiastic to become an entrepreneur because they all wanted to work with the McKinsey's of the world and the Unilevers. So that was a reason for me to start teaching, to write a book. And then a lot of people came to me, actually wanted me to invest in their company. And those days I didn't have a lot of money to invest. So I asked some friends to join me and we started our own limited and our own BV to start investing in companies. And I recall that the discussion that we had on the name Peak that one of my uh, colleagues in this fund, Helene, she came up with the name. And then we also had a lawyer, also entrepreneur. And we had an accountant. An accountant reacted, no, we shouldn't name it Peak because there's already another Peak in the market, USVC. And they were going to sue us if we're really successful. And then the lawyer said, was also a partner, he said, no, we should go for that route because if they're going to sue us, we'll be really successful. And that's typically what we as Peak want to be. So let's name it Peak. So that's also how we got with the name Peak. So you as Peak want to be sued. <laughs> Have you yet managed to be sued then? No, we're not successful enough. So that's currently where we're working on. Yeah. I'm curious to hear just the founding constellation there because it sounds like you were the ex-entrepreneur, then you had a... Uh, Lawyer and accountant and what more? Because you were five, right? We were and we still are all entrepreneurs. So it was with five other partners. And then during peak, during the first years, we all did it on the side. So one evening per month, we came to one of our offices because we all had our office or a company, what we were running. And then the entrepreneurs would pitch for us. And then if we all agreed, then we would invest in that company. So you can imagine that the speed wasn't very high those days. <laughs> But then after a few years, we realized that somehow we had a pretty good nose for investing because the companies we investing in did pretty well. So then we changed the model. And then since six years, I became a full-time managing partner. And a few of my partners are still LPs also in the fund. And then we changed the model also. We kept the name. By the way, we rebranded it from Peak Capital to Peak 
to keep it a little bit more concise and a little bit more clear also on that end. And then uh, since seven years, indeed, I'm managing the fund full time and rolling it out indeed over Europe. The founding story, how big was your first fund? When did you transition into full time and also maybe speak a bit to the viability of doing a VC fund part time now? Yeah, no, we, we start with our own money. So in total, we invest in I think the first fund was 800k or something like that. And then the second fund, when we raised a little bit of external capital was roughly two and a half million euro. And then the third fund was 12 million euro. And, and the fourth fund, which we are currently operating from, is the 66 million euro. So we're making pretty good steps ahead. And also how we organize is completely different, right? Because indeed the first fund we did one evening per month. And now, as mentioned, right, it's more than a full-time job with 10 people I'm working with Peak. So it really shifted from, let's say, a hobby project and doing deals where we really aligned with full commitment from everybody to, to indeed the fast pace of investing that we currently have. Let's talk a bit about the founding team and the fact that you're now a 66 million euro fund with five founding GPs. Let's use, instead of saying standard terminology, then let's say in EIF terminology, that's a too big team. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> investor on board, I think. Now, that's not the only reason, by the way, because we are indeed fully funded by entrepreneurs. We don't took any institutional money. We like to be entrepreneurial, not only from running the fund, but also how we are funded. But the five partners we started Peak with, as mentioned, I mean, they were there in the beginning. Now, with our current fund, so with Peak 4, we had three LPs in the team running that fund indeed. So we are on that average, so to say. Agree that five is a little bit on the high end, would be on the high end, yeah. You are the managing partner, then the others are purely investing or? No, 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 no. The three I mentioned indeed are all managing partners. So we are indeed now in with four, but when we started with three, we are all managing partners. And then indeed as an LP, so our investors are 60 people investing into the latest peak fund. Among those 60 people are indeed also my previous GPs where I started peak with. So they're still very active also in the fund, which is great, right? Which makes us think circle go around. We should definitely dive into now the LP constellation because that's something that's very close to David's and my heart, bringing in the community around you so that you have a stronger fund right from the get-go with the LP base. I'm super curious to hear your thinking around it, both in terms of, of course, the strategic considerations, but also in how have you made that work? Because operationally, some say the GPs tend to say that they will use their LP base a lot and then they end up not really catering that much to it. <laughs> We've also, by the way, been there, so I fully understand what you know. And indeed, it's the way how we started Peak, it's indeed also how we funded, and also the way how we work with them. So we have now, with all our funds together, 100 LPs investing in Peak, so 60 in the last fund and 40 in the, in the other funds. We don't talk with them on a daily basis. That's also not doable, right? So we have, from our end, everything in place to automate the reporting and also to ask for the feedback, but also to ask for capital calls, etc. So we use specialized tooling for that. So that saves a lot of time on the one end. And the second one, what we did, and we learned also by doing that, is that we map them out very clearly. So we know of every LP, you know, of course, which company has he experience in, also which countries, what phase of the company, what is he typically good at in a company, etc. So that if we look at companies and also where we invested in, and we indeed, we get a question from guys, I run a SaaS company to be rolled out in Germany to the SME market. And it's in the, let's say, in the airspace, that kind of segment. We can search for those LPs also in a backyard, so to say. So we're pretty active also on that end. And the second thing that, of course, we do is that our LPs, which are all entrepreneurs themselves and also our angel investors, they get a lot of deal flow and share that with us. 
And the reason that they shared with us, I think, and also what I hear, is that we look differently as they normally do as angel investors and also as entrepreneurs. So they like also, I think, the approach that we have, and we give them the feedback. And then, of course, for them, it's an option to ask us on the cap table or ask us to have a look at it, etc. So we work pretty closely together. On the other hand, I also must be frank on that we should do that way better because every time we have an LP meeting, we had it last Thursday evening with our LPs, I think the impact and the feedback that you get from experienced entrepreneurs who are doing it all every day themselves is so valid that every time I remember, we should ask them more feedback. I'm curious here, to what extent do you involve that LP base in the investment decisions themselves. For example, you know, let's say, as you said, you map them out, you have this founder, he or she's super experienced in, you know, I don't know, a frontier industry that it's not very common to see. You bring them over to help with the investment decision or is the uh, involvement of LPs more on the post-investment stage or even deal flow side? What we typically do is we ask them when we are in the investment decision, especially, and then we ask it mainly about their knowledge of a certain sector of a certain field where they have expertise in, right? So as you can imagine, we are typically SaaS marketplace and platform founders, and we invest in companies in the Benelux, Dark region and Nordics. That's typically where we focus on, and we do also deals outside those regions, but that's mainly where we focus on. And you can understand that we typically run into companies and into sectors, but we don't know that well. And then we typically ask a few of our LPs who know this space to look together with us to that company, right? And But you can imagine, right, some LPs are like to be really involved in investing in a fund like us, but some LPs also like to have their hands off. Yeah. So it's typically also how we work. But we typically also invite them on that end. We don't ask them to take a decision with us because that's typically what we as investors, I think, should do. But we ask them to understand the space and to think along with us and to give us also some insight. That's really valuable. I think that's the biggest asset that an LP and also an entrepreneur can give a lot of value. For example, we looked at different companies in sectors where we don't have any connections with, you know, ranging from the diamond industry to uh, typically recall, where we, of course, our LPs had a few companies in that space, so our, in jewelry, etc. So they understand that space and also know what's happening in the space and can also help us understand the space. What you often hear from emerging managers and also common saying is that there are plenty of people that want to meet you as an emerging manager and they all want to hear what you plan to do because, of course, everyone seeking to raise a VC fund have something interesting to say. Everyone recognizes that, but the real trick is actually being able to weed out the ones that are only listening in because they're interested and doubling down and then the ones that actually want to invest. How have you thought about this? Because when you have such a specific LP base, I'm thinking that your process must be a bit different than most. No, correct. I think the first fund, as mentioned, right, we did it ourselves. And the fourth fund is, as mentioned, is uh, 60 LPs big, right? I think that the biggest advantage that you have as your fund does well in terms of return is you can be selective on the LPs you ask on board. So on the last fund, we very specifically invited some LPs to join. And we are, of course, as you can imagine, typically looking at the space that we want knowledge of, right? So there's a need in the SaaS marketplace platform space. That's one. But also from a geo point of view, that's also typically where we would get help in. And of course, sometimes they bring their friends. And of course, we also approach by investors which are not in the space, but mainly indeed the current LPs, the, our current investors are in these focus areas and are active there. And that's really valuable because then indeed you can leverage on that end. On the other hand, there are also investors investing in Peak, sorry, which have another expertise, completely other sector, but also another space that they're active in. But they also can provide their 
experience as an entrepreneur. And I think in general, entrepreneurs, they look a certain way at businesses and at people and also at investment decisions. And that's what we typically like as Peak. We are entrepreneurial rent, so we don't typically operate also, therefore, as a VC. And also the decision making is not, let's say, standard what a lot of VCs does. Let's dive into that. <laughs> what yeah. is the decision-making process? It's depending on the company and depending on the deal. I mean, I was actually in Berlin for almost all weekend because we had a company we ran into last week, really Monday, one of my colleagues. On Tuesday, we had a pitching session a few times per week. We have all our team, the whole team, and also the partners are joining a pitching session and our team can find interesting companies to pitch there. That approach is also slightly different, right? Because we like our team and also our partners to be feedback and also let the founders meet our whole team. So not one GP or an associate, etc. but especially the whole team. And I personally got really enthusiastic about the space and about this team also on Tuesday. So indeed, I would clean my agenda and I could make it Friday and Saturday in this case to meet the team because I have kids and also they want to see me also the weekend, as you can imagine. So I could hear my agenda on Friday and Saturday. So I flew there, couldn't take the train or the car, unfortunately. It was a little bit too far. And spent indeed the two days with the team. And today, at the end of the day, we're going to take a decision whether we should, will or will not invest in that company. And I think that speed and also that commitment and also stepping in there so early, but also so fast, that's typically what an entrepreneurial fund will do. So we don't have an IC where we should get a yes from or no. That's not how we work. We can decide it ourselves. And that means that you get a lot of speed also in decision-making. That, of course, has grown more important over the last year or two. Is it how you've always operated? And if not, what have you experienced, you know, transitioning into this? It was completely different, Andreas. I mean, with our first funds, right, we could just wait at the office and people would contact us and reach out to us. And then we could say, we don't have time for you. Let's wait for it next week, et cetera. That's what we could do. I think we were entrepreneurs and we are entrepreneurs. So we typically what we didn't do, but that's the market which shifts from indeed, especially, right, a market which, of course, mainly driven from founders these days, which I think is good because there's the value and they should be leading not us as investors. So I think that's a massive shift. So that also means that you have to change the way that you work, right? So instead of being laid back and waiting for plans to arrive, I mean, we have in our team four or five people which are every day busy connecting to founders, talking to founders, etc. I'm also connecting every day and talking to founders, which I think is really good. And then to see, not at the moment when they're fundraising, because I think that moment everybody could be talking, but I think you want to be talking when there's something else going on. If the company is growing fast or is it just expanding to, uh, let's say, another geo or when there's shit, so to say, in the founding team, typically when you could need some help as entrepreneur. And I think there's a real value also of VCs is not just providing money, because I think everybody can do that these days, but especially helping those founders in those critical moments when you should be there. And What we are focusing on as Peak is being active in the market, being also at co-working spaces, so not in fancy offers at the canals in Amsterdam, but also being close in the market in Berlin, also in the co-working, but also in Stockholm. We're really there for also in the co-working to meet founders, to talk with founders, to connect them, to help them, etc., and to, I think, to show the value what we have, and then they can choose whether or not to work with us. So that's also an entrepreneurial approach, a different approach than waiting indeed for the relevant pitch deck to arrive. I want to come back to a topic and then we'll continue this line of thought just because I'm super curious to hear your thoughts about it, Johan, because, you know, you shared with us going from first fund or fund zero almost, some would say, right? 
up until today, Fund 4. And I'm curious to ask you about the future. So as you grow, <laughs> right, you've been seeing your history of growing the fund size. How do you think about keeping your LP base if you continue that route? Because that will then be a humongous, differently operation, right? <laughs> like it will, it'll be completely different if Fund 5 is, I don't know, 120 or whatever uh, the size would be, right? Yeah, I agree. And, uh, but it was also the stretch, I think, what we made with peak 3 to peak 4, right? That was also a huge stretch in terms of LPs, and we also manage that. So I think that if you can set the goal, you can really realize that. I think that's, that's really important because really, I think one, it's indeed communication to your LPs, and there are great tools to do that. Secondly, you should have a back office for that, right, where you indeed also can give not only the report but also the governance, etc., to have that in place. So I think that's second. We really can make that also with our next fund to go fully entrepreneurial. We've been approached by a few institutional investors, so I'm not saying we will not do that, but personally, it's my ambition indeed to go fully <laughs> again with the next fund, because I think that's really distinguishing us from the rest. It's also the vibe that we as Peak have, and I also like to work a lot with LPs and have very practical knowledge also on our hands. So that's typically what I also aim, and also the rest of the team also aims with the next fund, to indeed to go for the same route. Yeah. Let me just follow up that with a bit of a provocative one. <laughs> I'm really curious to hear your thoughts on this because typically what you'd see is then like the minimum ticket just increasing, right? The, the minimum ticket to invest or the minimum ticket for an LP to invest in us? For an LP to invest, yeah. And I would argue that, you know, the value add of a founder from a smaller ecosystem, for example, would maybe he had a smaller couple of exits, you know, is humongous because he can basically reach a geography that otherwise you couldn't, right? So when I say this, where does your mind go? What do you think about? Will that kind of be a limitation to bring in interesting founders or do you more believe in keeping it low, keeping it open? And also on that end, of course, you always have rules for the amount of an LP can sit in, right? But if there's an LP with a very specific knowledge or a very good name on a certain aspect or a very good value, you should be flexible on that end. And it's typically also what VSP do. So indeed, the less entrepreneurial VC, they have the rules and they work with it. And I think the difference is we have rules, but sometimes you have to really change for it. And it's also what we learned with uh, funding of uh, Peak 3 and Peak yeah. 4. We have some LPs who contributed less than indeed the standards. But if indeed looking back, the value that they provide is way higher. So I think you really should be flexible on that end. Yeah. Uh, it's funny because that's the exact lesson that's of our investment club. So that, that's funny. <laughs> but I do want to dive in because at the same time as we're here touting our own horn around the value of small ticket LPs that come from the ecosystem, there's also value to be had from bigger established players like Isomer Capital, for example. I love talking to Joe Short, the founding managing partner there. Every time I learn something, of course, it's not around building a company. It's more around building a fund. So I'm curious because I would think that you're missing out on some of the expertise that a fund of fund would have and also the networks because Isomer has, of course, built a network around them that brings a special value at that normal LPs or other LPs couldn't bring. Yeah, that's indeed a value point. That's typically what we don't have indeed. Don't know Isomer, haven't met them ever. But it would be great to connect with these guys also, to learn from it. As mentioned, right, we are a really entrepreneurial fund. So we look really entrepreneurial also to the market and also the way that we operate. So I think it's interesting to learn from other funds. On the other hand, we are also a little bit daring to do the other way also. So not to choose the patient path, so to say. So I think it's good to learn. I read a lot about VCs also. I hear a lot about, indeed, the different podcasts, as you guys, by the way, but also other podcasts and also other publications on that end. 
I think I don't want to copy the rest of the VC world. I think Peak has a different name, a different brand. Also, that's how we differentiate also with others. So that's, I think, also the strength. But indeed, I fully agree with you. That's typically what you will not learn. I'd like to maybe change topics again a bit here. We've been talking about Peak here and there, and you've been giving us a lot of information in terms of fund sizes, in terms of the verticals. But I think it would be interesting for our listeners to start this section with, okay, give us a quick overview of the thesis and the strategy, because I think that's a good way to structure things, because then it would be really interesting to follow up on the conversation we were having about deal flow particularly. But let's start with an overview. Let's start with that. Yeah. Now, we started Entrepreneurial Fund. We always invest in the seed phase of the company, which can also be a pre-seed phase, but also a seed phase. That's typically where we invest. Sometimes we do Series A deal, but we are typically also the fund that would like to stay also in the seed phase. The reason why I think it's pretty easy, one, we like that space because I think it's a very fascinating space to be there on board and help the founders in that critical space. I think the second one, of course, we learn a lot and we can have a lot of value there. The third, to be very frank with you, also the next phase are way more competing than the other spaces. Because in the seed phase, you want to be nearby, you want to help the entrepreneur. And the Series A and later is, let's say, a more numbers game and less a people and a helping game, right? That's, I think that's a different bull set also. So as you can imagine, every time we start a new fund, we always have that discussion, guys, girls, will we go later or will we stay in the same phase? And we always are choosing, and I think also for peak five, we are currently having these discussions right now, we will remain in that phase. So I think that's on the phase level. And what we do, because then a valid question from your point will be, but how does that work then in terms of ticket size, given the size of your fund and the growth of the fund, etc.? I think a few things. One, we invest indeed early on. You see the ticket size growing. I think we all see that also in the seed phase. And the second thing is you also, as a founder, should I think you want to have an investor who stays on board also in the next rounds, who can even lead the next round, but also can be there for the A, B, and sometimes even the C rounds. So that's typically also where we reserve our money for. So we do a lot of deals, as you can imagine. With our current fund, we did in uh, roughly two and a half years, we did 22 new investments. So that gives, I think, a little bit of the speed that we are investing. So pretty high pace. Also during COVID times, when you saw that, of course, the funding amounts were growing, but mainly Series B and C, we kept on investing in really early on deals. That's typically also what we do because we believe in the space. But we want to help these founders also in next phases. And then regarding geos, as mentioned, we invest in the Benelux Nordic and Dock region. That's where we want to lead the deals also. So we almost every time we lead a deal, it's also different, as you know, because a lot of times if funds are expanding internationally, they will not lead because they will co-lead or follow another investor. We've chosen also the entrepreneurial mindset to lead deals. And it means that you have to build your own sourcing engines up and to build your own teams up there and to build your own network to find and scout interesting deals. So I think that's the second one which we do. And then on the third level is indeed sector-related, business model-related, the platform, marketplace and SaaS, business models, is typically where we invest in. So we did also a deal in Poland, for example, which is out of our geo, but then we are not leading the deal, right? So that's typically also how we scale peak now in this phase is indeed with on those three angles. Before I uh, interrupted <laughs> the line of thought we we're talking about, you know, you were talking about how you collaborated with these different ecosystem players and how you were involved in helping the founders and so on. That for me speaks to deal flow, right? At the end of the day is how can you find the best founders? How can you get access to the best founders, be in the best deals? And something that we were actually chatting about before we started recording this was the peak brand and how you mm -hmm. think about that. And I'd like to ask you about 
how strategic is it for you in not only, you know, driving deal flow, but also, you know, setting up the right partnerships with the best co-investors out there, the best accelerators, incubators. So what is the role of the brand for you within Peak Capital? Yeah, I think the brand is key for a VC. And I think it's often neglected. I see great VCs also with great names, but not with great brands, and especially not with brand visibility. And of course, great VCs can build their brand from the success that they have, the portfolio, what they have. So I think that's another angle. But we as a expanding, emerging Dutch VC growing into Europe, and that's why I position also Peak as a European VC, for us, the brand is really key to distinguish ourselves from the rest. So we indeed, we changed our brand roughly six months ago. Uh, so halfway, before that, as mentioned, we were called Peak Capital and we changed it to Peak. We completely switched the brand also how it shows, but also especially the communication to founders, but also to LPs. So as you probably have seen, we are very direct. I'm also, as a, one of the managing partners, pretty direct. And I think that's also the communication style that we have. But we are especially very eye level. So we like to talk on the same level with founders. So we don't like to have another way of communication. And I think that's typically what is in the peak brand, what is visible. And the third thing in the peak brand is I love the way, personally, I'm pretty proud. And my colleague, by the way, Madeline, who did everything on the brand, and I was helping a little bit with her, but she's really the grandmother of peak. She always liked to say, get rid of the mountains because peak capital, you can imagine we use a lot of mountains. We kill that. changed <laughs> completely to the new brand. I think she really did a great job. And especially if you see how it stands out, Personally, I love our website, but also how stand out if you see the different logos of Peak, I think that's really good. The second part of the brand, because this is more the brand from a design perspective and indeed the communication perspective, I think the brand of a VC does consist of the way of one of your portfolio, so the success of your portfolio, because that's driving your brand value. Um, let's dive deeper and double click on that later. And the third one is indeed how are you perceived by the market and especially how is your communication the second point, uh, where do we stand as peak? As you probably have seen, right, we have done now 37 investments. We did 11 exits currently and did 22 in our last fund. So we're very active as an investor. Also on the exit side, we're doing pretty well. Also referring back to return that we made. So I think that's doing pretty well. But we like to do more daring and bold deals also in the market, right? Because we are typically also as a Dutch investor, we started here. So think small, small country, and now expanding also into Europe. So we that's why we we also hired great people like Indra Sharma, who is in our Stockholm office. She was uh, leading the VC activities for Equity in Sweden. So it's a very high-profile team to join on board. We have now a new guy working together on our German office, also heading our German office. So I think that's the people part, which is really important. And then the third point, as mentioned, is need how are we perceived by founders? As you can imagine, we get a lot of deal flow in. We get a lot of founders that we talk to. And what our team normally does, because everybody knows that raising funding is not, let's say, the nicest thing to do as a founder, right? Because it also means that you hear a lot of no's for the issue as a founder from VCs, but also don't get a lot of valuable impact. So feedback. So what we help our team with and where they're really good at, and by the way, we check that with our NPS score because we do a survey among the founders that we talk to and also are looking for that feedback, is that we provide real value to them also in the early phases. So I think that's really important if you look to a brand point of view is have those three assets in place, right? Portfolio, valid feedback to the market, and indeed how you work indeed with founders. You do have your own podcast as well. And I would love to hear your thinking around that. We chatted about it just before you started because we're now starting to add more podcasts to our world. And we know from every VC we talk to that 
people want to run a podcast, right? <laughs> so that, that's funny. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's from you, what are you getting out of it? Why did you choose to do it? And just the whole experience of it. I work now from home. I have a pretty big garden. And when I'm working in my garden in the weekends, it's always good for me to detach from, you know, let's say the business thing and come closer to my heart and also what I'm, I'm thinking of and what makes me warm. And literally I was um, uh, <laughs> working on a tree And I suddenly realized, because I indeed had a long time an idea for a podcast, and suddenly realized that there's a lot of content in starting a company, recruiting, fundraising, etc. Also on starting a fund, less on running a fund, so a big compliment for you guys, but not on exiting a company. There's not a lot of content. And you, of course, if you can Google, you can find something, but there's not a good podcast on that. So that was a reason for me, because I think that exit moment is one for a founder really important, because he... Or she hasn't done that a lot, probably. I mean, <laughs> how, the, how the economics work on that end, right? But the second time, it's also for VCs, it's really interesting. And it's also for people interesting who like to work within companies, want to move up, etc. So I realized this is a very interesting moment to talk on. A good friend of mine, uh, who's uh, the chief editor of Sprout, it's uh, publications on startups, uh, reached out to me and said he left a job, etc. And that's came to each other. So then I asked him to join. And what we set up is indeed is a podcast show called The Big Exit, where we interview European tech founders who recently sold their tech company, exited their tech company, and mainly aimed for founders to, one, to learn from it, also for VCs, but mainly geared for founders. But the second one, and I found that also as myself as a founder, is being a founder is great, but sometimes it's also really, really, really hard. And then it's good to have some inspiration also. And then it's also good to hear some good stories, to learn from it, but also get a good boost of energy. And that's why we started with the podcast, The Big Exit Show. We now, I think, interviewed 15 entrepreneurs, great guys and girls like uh, Honeypot, Emma Tracy, the founder of Honeypot, but also founder of Signavio, who sold his company for 1.2 billion to SAP. So different companies and different founders, all telling their personal journey from how they started that company, but mainly focused on how they built and skilled and exited that company. The way I first met that podcast was from a founder asking, Idris, uh, you're very much plugged in. I need to hear something about exiting because I've been offered two offers now and, and I don't know how I should think about it. Do you have something that could be an inspiration? And then I sent him your podcast uh, after just looking. Ah, for that's good. Thanks for that. <laughs> you're absolutely right. There's not much on that space, so that's cool. Second question, Andrea, sorry to interrupt, is indeed how does it work for us? And that's something that I think with a podcast is harder, right? Because we record it, the podcast. By the way, for me, it's also good to meet European founders. So most of the time, I combine it with a visit there or meeting some other founders, etc. So I do it a lot in life. So it brings a great network to me. As you can imagine, it's also great meeting future LPs for Peak, right? So, But thirdly, also these guys and girls like also to spread out their personal story, right? So they're also marketing themselves. I think it could have been bigger in terms of reach. I had a radio station a long time ago, so I know a little bit about uh, numbers which work for radio stations. So I think my ambition is again to bold on that, but I think that's something where we can improve on. It's easier to make something grow if it's broadcasted, right? Rather than having to have people download it. I think a lot of what goes out on the radio waves wouldn't stand a chance if it had to be downloaded. I'd love to just ask you about a quote that I've come by, which is, You've said, don't try to please everybody. Look for alternative ways to get things done. Give it 100% on one big goal and do not move on before it's done. Yeah, I'd love to hear your reflections on that and how it translates into peak as well. 
Yeah, I think it's all about, I think in, in general life, but especially running a company and running a fund is all about having the right focus. If you don't have focus or if you don't have a very clear objective where you work on, you will be spread out. And that's also what I learned in talking to different founders and helping different founders. I think the main value what we as VCs can help founders with is making decisions and focus on realizing that decision. Therefore, it's for me so important. And you see it also with Peak. I mean, I'm very good personally, indeed, at hunting for companies and closing the deals and pushing them for an exit. I'm not really good at reporting governance and that kind of really important things, but in my mind, shit. <laughs> so it's also how I run Peak is we have great partners and everybody has a very clear core strength and indeed is focusing on that. So, and I think that's also the advantage that if you start a fund as an entrepreneur, you also have some kind of one, some kind of experience, but also some kind of uh, network built, but also some kind of money available to the table. So if you want to make work up as a VC, so start as an analyst associate and grow your wake up, then you should do everything, which I think is really good. I think the advantage of running an entrepreneur, as an entrepreneur, a fund, you shouldn't do anything because I'm not really good at that. So I think that's the advantage that I have also with my experience, but also what I love to do. Just before we go to the quick fire, I have one final question. Do you have in your LP base exited founders that are with you because they are seeing their way into venture? Yeah, of course. Of course. Yeah, I've had it also a few times. If you exit your company and sell your company, then really the question is what next, right? Am I going to sell around the world again or am I going to build a new company or will I invest? I think that's a three roughly choices that you have as an exited founder, right? Personally, I had it that, that, that I was a little bit too young to do the first. And also, I didn't feel like to sail around the world for the rest of my life. So I think in that phase, it's very logical to do that. And I think also from the other point is a need from an LP. It's interesting to work with a fund and to learn how they work and how they operate. Because you can learn from it, not only to set up your own fund, but also for your own angel investments. With Peak, we did a session for our own LPs is the top 10 mistakes that the defaults that angels made. I think it was our best visited LP meeting ever. <laughs> Everybody was there asked for the presentation and normally that's not always happening, right? So I think it's really good to learn from indeed how we run things and also to give the, also the feedback on that. Maybe we should invite you back for a session on that. I think our community would enjoy that. Oh, I would love that. would love that. would be great. I have it somewhere. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That would be awesome. We always end the episodes with a quick fire round. These are quick answer questions, 30 to 60 seconds each. Are you ready? Sure. Okay, first question. In SaaS, marketplaces, and platforms, what areas excite you the most that other people don't really feel that excited about? I'm really uh, interested in marketplaces, but also in SaaS companies, but especially with marketplaces, because really early on, there's not a lot of numbers. It's a very hard to grasp model also from a liquidity standpoint, and it's really all about the founders. So I, if I must choose from the three verticals where to invest in now, it's really early on marketplaces. Second question, what are your three top tips for emerging VCs who are now fundraising? Good question. One, fundraising is like selling. So also see it as a sales process, and that means that you should have a CRM system and a pipeline, etc. See it also from a sales process that it's not pushing through, but it's mainly asking questions to the investor, whereas they're interested in what kind of return does she want to make, etc. So I think that's the second thing. And the third thing is really spread out 
but also focus on that end. Because I think if you start a fund, you will probably have a focus on to invest in certain companies and try to get in investors of that field or in related fields, etc. Because they can add a lot of value there and they will understand their business. And it's also fun to work with. I'm going to add a question just because I think it's interesting. To what extent is everything you said that different for emerging VCs or for founders fundraising, in your opinion? I think for founders fundraising, I think you can get a lot of value from angels who know your space, but there's also a risk for angels who know your space. So they can help to understand the market, but also, I learned myself, also as a founder, by the way, they can also be trapped in seeing the market that way. So I think every face for a company has a right investor, but also the right person. And I think for you as a founder, it's key that if you make decisions that you can input everywhere, but then make the decision of yourself and not be fully depending on one angel who she or he has a certain experience in that field with. Final question of the quickfire round. What can we expect in the future from Johan and Peek? Wow, that's a big question. I probably will not launch any more podcasts because uh, I a compliment to you guys. I thought you were going to say you're going to travel around the world <laughs> in a boat. <laughs> and, and I'm always traveling around the world, but I always do that on the side, right? And also combining the different trips. Now, I think for me, it's, it's I'm pretty proud, especially if you look now where Peak is and where Peak will be. And I think also our next fund, but also our next steps into Europe. For me, it would be personally be a big dream to be with Peak, the top VC in Europe, and especially in this phase that we are investing. So that's the ambition that I have. But uh, I need some people and also some great companies and great founders, but also great podcasts like you to help me with that. So thanks for inviting me. I'm glad you didn't say to be sued. (laughs) (laughs) That's a great goal for anyone to have. (laughs) Thanks for joining us, Johan. We really enjoyed having you here on the European VC. Thanks so much. Yeah, likewise, guys. Thanks for inviting me. Four Degrees is the VC Relationship Intelligence CRM that helps you source and close deals in less time. Built by VCs who recognize the power of relationship networks, Four Degrees will transform your network into a living, breathing engine of opportunity by optimizing the deal-making process. To learn more about how Four Degrees can help you leverage your firm's relationships to move deals forward faster, visit fourdegrees.ai forward slash EUVC. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of The European VC, your podcast that insights into the European VC industry. If you love our show, do drop us a review, share it with your friends, and join our Slack community at theeuropeanvc.com forward slash community. And don't forget, if you would like to suggest topics or guests for future episodes, join our community and help make the best pod for everything European VC. And if you are about to raise a fund or an international round, do let us know and we'll be happy to introduce you to relevant investors.